0: And can I add my welcome to that of Lisa's as we gather here this morning uh, to worship as we come to that part of our worship where we seek God's Word and see what it has to teach us for our lives today. If you are visiting with us, it's good to see you here uh, as you come as part of our community this morning. If you can, please stay for some tea and coffee afterwards. We'd love to meet you there and uh, get to know you a little bit. Growing up, what was it like? In Northern Ireland, I guess for many of us, it was the same thing. There was a list of things that you could do and that you couldn't do. And there was a list of things that you could and couldn't do, especially on a Sunday. And as we grew up in Northern Ireland, we knew what we could and what we couldn't do. And that was how it was. There was no question. There was a little bit of justification given, and that was it. So for me, going to the cinema was a no-no. You weren't allowed to go anywhere near the cinema. And even from a young child, the pub was a place that would never be frequented, even though in my small town alone there was at least 15 to choose from. At a children's meeting, we were taught the song, down to the pub I'll never go. That's where the devil drinks my soul. So I'll do what is right and I'll keep my money tight. So down to the pub I'll never go. And next Sunday morning we'll be singing that as part of our children's (laughs) hymn. Things that we were allowed to do and things that we weren't allowed to do. Probably passed down from one generation to the next in good conscience. That what they were doing was fulfilling what they believed was said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I don't know what life was like for you growing up but I suspect there was something similar. Let's look at this passage in 1 Corinthians, and rather than relying on a a little song that I used to sing as a child or the rules and regulations passed down from one generation to the next, let's have a look and see what Paul says to us through his letter to the Corinthians. Let's pray as we come to this. Father God, we've gathered here this morning to do what we normally do on a Sunday, We come to be part of a group of people who worship you and who take some time to learn from you. So help us as we do this. Already we have ideas of traditions and things in our heads of what this passage conjures up for us as we've known it and read it and as it has been passed down to us. So help us to come this morning afresh to it, to learn the truth from you of what you're saying to us, saying to us today and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you the context of the church in Corinth. It's falling apart. It's not a good place to be. Paul spent about a year and a half pastoring this church, and he has left it to go and pastor other churches and encourage other believers around the known world. And now, later on, many years later, he gets this letter from concerned people, members of that community of Christ, And 1 Corinthians is Paul's response to that. Eugene Peterson describes the people of Corinth like this. The people of Corinth had a reputation in the ancient world as an unruly, hard-drinking, sexually promiscuous bunch of people. When Paul arrived with the message, and many of them became believers in Jesus, they brought their reputations with them right into the church. So the problem that Paul was addressing... And that we've been looking at over the number of weeks that we've been looking at 1 Corinthians. It's about the influence of society, the Corinthian society influencing the church. And in fact, society being seen as more important than what was being taught by the apostles and the teachers and the scriptures themselves. So we've covered already wisdom. Right at the very beginning of of uh, our studies in First Corinthians, we looked at that, this challenge about where wisdom came from. Then it moved into division. Paul wanted to very quickly settle the divisions that were in the church. Thirdly, he talks about his own relationship with the Corinthian church, how they were challenging him, but yet he was an apostle of Christ. Then he moved into the social issues, incest, then litigation, prostitution, and then we finished off just before Christmas looking at marriage. All the baggage that came came into the church from the world. But Paul's letter, it's a classical piece of pastoral writing. Affectionate, firm, clear, and unswerving in the conviction that God among them, revealed in Jesus and present in His Holy Spirit, Continue to be the central issue in their lives regardless of how much of a mess they had made of things that's what Paul's message is and time and time again that's what we're seeing as we look into these passages in this letter about God being among them in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit the one who changes lives and brings about that relationship with God It would be helpful for you this morning if you have the Bible open in front of you at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It's page 1149, because we're going to look at the four sections that Paul has uh, for us here, although they probably weren't put into sections as Paul wrote it, but as we now receive uh, our New Testament, they are divided in the New International Version in this way. And I think it's a helpful way for us to, to get to the bottom of what's been said in this passage. So we'll start with verses 1 to 3. And Paul is getting straight to the heart of the issue. He starts off by saying, okay, let's move on to the next thing that we need to talk about. Now about food sacrificed to idols. And it's almost as if he cannot wait to get to his main point because he goes straight to it. And all of a sudden, even though starting talking about idols, he jumps to talk about knowledge. As with most of what Paul writes, he covers an issue, but the issue is only the tip of the iceberg of what Paul wants to get to. The issue is to get the Corinthian church to come along with him so that they can understand what he's truly getting at. So, Paul is getting to the bottom of knowledge, something that he's touched on before. In fact, he has given them great praise for the knowledge that they have. And he says very simply, you know, we all possess knowledge of some kind or another, but knowledge puffs up, he says in verse 1, but love builds up. The word for knowledge here is a Greek word called gnosis. Gnosis is this idea of deep knowledge, not just knowing things, but a deep understanding of the knowledge that we would have. And if you can remember back, one of the things that Paul was challenging this church about was their secret knowledge. There seemed to develop this hierarchy in Corinth, Corinth, where there were people who thought they knew more, and had been given more spiritual knowledge than other people. So they set themselves up as the most important people in the whole church community. So Paul very quickly says again, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He goes on to say, The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. If we think we know it all, the likelihood is we don't. And that's what Paul is saying here. The one who thinks that they've got to the end of knowledge and thinks that they know it all, actually, they're pretty near the start because no one will ever have full knowledge of the things of this earth or indeed of the things of God. We can never have that much knowledge. So the one who thinks that their knowledge is superior because it's more and it's full full and filled, they're actually nowhere at all. But love builds But the man who loves God is known by God. Yes, we can have knowledge about all kinds of things. But it's not our knowledge that is at our center or should be at our center. Because Paul is taking the Corinthians back once again to what is the heart issue, and that is God at the center. What does it mean But the man who loves God is known by God? Love builds up. Love brings us into that relationship with God. Love is the thing that makes us daily understand ever so slightly more about God as we have a relationship with Him and as we journey in faith with Him and to Him. You see, the one who is known by God is in a relationship with God. God is the center. Whenever we talk about our knowledge and we try to put our knowledge above everyone else or or others around us. It's saying, look at me. It's about me. But whenever we are known by God, it is about Him, because He is the center of everything that we do. It's the contrast, and that's what Paul is doing in these first three verses. He's putting out the contrast yet again. Corinthian church, you're doing it your way, Or you're doing it God's way. You cannot do both. And in fact, there is only one way, says Paul. And that is God's way, where we are known by Him because of the love that is found in Him. So Paul goes straight to the issue before he gets into the nitty gritty of it all. So verses four to six, he's put his stall out. He's set up in front of the Corinthian church. This is what I'm about to talk about again. So, listen up. He gets to this old issue that the Corinthians are facing eating food sacrificed to idols. You have to understand what Corinth was like in the first century temples everywhere, shrines and idols everywhere. The temples were the social gathering places, there was one on every street corner. And each one had its own God for a different thing that you may need in your philosophical world. The temples were the places where you met with people over the equivalent of tea and coffee. It was the place where you celebrated weddings. It was where you feasted at birthdays. And it was was where you did all your socializing. One author has described the temples in Corinth as the first century equivalent of a nightclub. It was the place where everyone was drawn to. And this put Christians in a difficult position because they had come out of this temple way of doing things and into the church of Christ, but yet their social surroundings meant that they had to return. They had to go back into these places, and they had to eat the food, the food that would be sacrificed to the idols or to the gods or to the lords of that temple, whoever it happened to be a temple for. And so they were seen going back in, and they were eating this food. If you notice in these verses, Paul affirms three things. He first of all says in verse 4 that idols are nothing. They are false. They're not real. Therefore, they have no bearing on us. He says they're just the stone. They're just the wood. They have no power. They have no authority. They are nothing but an inanimate object. So he affirms that idols are nothing. He says others may recognize them as great things, but they are nothing. He affirms that there is one God, and that's later in verse 4. God our Father. All things exist because of him and through him. So his second affirmation is, in contrast to these false gods, there is one true living God. And then he affirms his third thing, there is one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live, in verse 6. This is the spiritual life that Paul is referring to, the spiritual life that Christ brought about through his death and his resurrection idols are nothing. There is one God and there is one Lord. Again, Paul is affirming that the God that they worship and that they profess is the one who should be at the center of everything they do, the center of their thinking, the center of their doing, and the center of their being. And he needs to state this again in this way, in the context, so that whenever he gets to the next two verses, they are clear of the path that Paul has taken them on. So let's go to verses seven and eight. This is a report that has come back. Some people, he says, are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. So there are people who are going back in having absolutely no problem in fitting in with their old ways. They're quite happy to take food given to an idol. They're quite happy to eat it. They're quite happy to believe in it. Now, to believe in it means that they recognize that a special parting has been given from this false god or this idol onto the food, and they're happy to accept that, not just it's fine, I don't believe it, but actually A notion within them that there's something going on here. Paul goes on and says, But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it, and no better if we do. So Paul says, Look, food is nothing. It's the heart of the matter that we are considering here. I know, says Paul, that food is nothing because the idol is nothing. But when we recognize the idol as something, then we face difficulty. Then we allow ourselves not to be ruled by God, but actually to push God over to the side and allow ourselves to be ruled by our old ways of idolatry. Paul has a heart for these people in Corinth. He wants them to be pure for God alone. He doesn't want them to be mixed-minded, he understands the struggle that they will face as they try and live this life as a Christian church and also as a, as a person in society. He knows all too well the call of Christ is to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. But the Corinthians, the Corinthians are having problems as they try and figure this all out. So Paul concludes this little bit in verses 9 to 13. And what he does is address something that so often we can take for granted, and that is Christian freedom. In Romans 8, he's already spoken of freedom. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Christ's coming was about freeing us from the clutches of the evil one and the clutches of the law. It was about giving us freedom to live our lives in Christ and to be accountable to Him only for our salvation. So, Paul is addressing freedom. He acknowledges that we have freedom in Christ, he acknowledges that everything that Christ has done gives us freedom to do as we do in this world. But we must be careful with our freedom. We must be careful that it does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Paul sees this as such a serious thing that he actually calls it sin. Verse 13, therefore, sorry, verse 12, when you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So this isn't some little matter that Paul wants to address. Paul wants to address the sin of others and the sin of ourselves as we become center-focused rather than God-focused. And this was the problem. In the society, the pluralistic society in which they lived in Corinth, they were told, it's about you. You be happy. You be satisfied. You do what you want and forget about everybody else. Paul says to the church, no, it's not about you, but it is about the church of Christ. It is about the community of people. Paul's overarching message message is one of community. It's about the people who you gather with, the people who love you and who you love. A community that puts other people first. Rather than the concern and the selfish wishes and desires of the individual. For the Corinthian church, the issue is over food sacrificed to idols. And Paul's answer to this very simple issue in verse 13 is Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So Paul comes right at the end and says, Look, you have freedom. It is a great thing to have freedom in Christ, but with that great freedom comes great responsibility as we watch out for each other in community. So let's finish by looking at three things how we can take this passage with us today, how we can move with this passage into the context in which we live. Because as we read this passage and and take it as we read it, We don't see too many temples or idols around the country where we go and eat and worry about food sacrificed to them. But the message that Paul is giving under this is one that is vital for the church today. So the first of the three lessons is the one that Paul comes up with time and time and time again in the letter to the Corinthians. Keep God at the center. Paul has traced the Corinthians' problem They removed God from what they were doing in the church and out of the church. And because they were not focused on God and on themselves, it meant that it was so easy for them to fall into their old ways of idol worship and of accepting whatever society would have for them. I don't know if anything was recognized in the society that I described as the Society of Corinth pluralistic. Do whatever you want to do. It's all about you. Are we not faced with the same society today? I'll believe what I want to believe. I'll let you believe what you want to believe. These days we'll not have a debate about it because that only upsets and offends people. So we'll just live our individual lives and get on with it. That's what the world wants us to be, to believe and to be. That's what the world's message is for us. Everyone is right and every way is right. If we follow that path, we end up like the Corinthians, away from God, not focused on Him, but focused on our own thinking rather than what He has taught us and revealed to us in Scripture. Keep God at the center of everything we do. When we do that, it removes the selfishness within us. It means that we become his people in society. And rather than accepting what society wants from us, we open ourselves to what God wants for us, which is to be true, to be faithful, to be honest and open with the message that we have and the lives that we live. Keep God at the center or we face the same damage that the Corinthian church faced. The second thing, keep a community focus. Paul has recognized that when the the community fragments and goes its own ways and, and does what it wants to do as individuals, he recognizes that that's when it falls apart, that sin gets in, that it creeps in and it pulls people away from each other, and ultimately away from Christ. We need to remember that faith, although a very personal thing, is also a corporate thing, because we do faith together like this. Yes, we have our times at home where we have individual time, in our quiet times, in our prayer times, in our study times. We may have family time in God's Word, but when we come to this as well, we come corporately together to worship. And so we must keep a community focus. And a community focus means that I'll not go for my agenda, for my way and my kingdom building. I will go for God's kingdom way. I will think of others rather than myself. I will be about the community of Christ rather than the community that I think I want it to be. And I know that we're all at different stages on our faith journey But we will always have to learn more from those in the community. And we will always have those who are learning from us. It's in this community that we grow and serve. It is where we discover and learn. It is a community of mutual care. We need to keep a community focus. If we are to remain as God's people in this community, this social community around us, and indeed in the society in which we can influence and speak into for Christ. So keep God at the center, keep a community focus, and finally, Christian freedom. Enjoy our freedom in Christ. Enjoy all the things that He has for us. But remember our responsibility. At times we may have to forego what we can do, So that we don't cause others to fall into sin and as Paul says then fall into sin ourselves before Christ. We need to guard what we say and how we say it. We need to guard what we write and how we articulate things. And we need to guard what we do. So that others do not take greater liberties than we do. Thinking that they can do the same, but yet are at a different level of maturity in knowing what is right and what is wrong. We don't like to think that we are stifled. We don't like to think that we are bound. But if we have love for each other, and if we have love for our Father God, we will recognize that there are things that we will choose not to do for the sake of those around us. So the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the weaker and the stronger brother, food sacrificed to idols, is about God-centeredness. It's about being community-focused. And it's about knowing our freedom in Christ. But knowing when we will have to go forgo some of that freedom for the sake of others around us. How you deal with this, only you know. Because only you know the life that you have, only you know the social groupings that you're a part of, only you know the friends, the brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you. Let me pray for us all that as we work through this and as we seek to apply it in our lives, we'll be guided by God, that He will keep us His. that we can be free in Christ, yes, in this world, knowing that we are part of his people, and therefore we serve him and serve one another. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning, and we come to this passage that seems so ancient for us, because what it seems on the surface is so far from us, but yet when we dig deeper, we see that there are still idols in our lives, that there are still things in our lives that can cause us to fall away from you, and that we take liberties with where others may fall into sin. So help us. Help us as we work this through. Help us as we think about what it means to have God at the center of our lives, Lord God, reveal to us what our days look like, being God-centered people, being Christ-focused and being Spirit-led. Father, give us the vision for this community of people that we will truly love one another, that we will watch out for one another, that we will truly care for one another. Whatever that means for us We will do it for the benefit of those around us. And Father, thank you for the freedom in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the freedom that we know in our salvation, but help us to guard our words. Help us to guard our language and our tones. Help us to be careful with what we write and how we articulate what we believe and what we think. And help us to be ever careful about what we do and how we do it. So that we will not lead others into sin. But rather we will build up this community. So that together we can be strengthened in Jesus Christ. So help us as we do this. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.